Hello, and welcome to the Rethink Missions podcast, where we learn from the stories and lessons of cross-cultural servants to the unreached people groups of the world. Welcome to today's episode. Here's your host, Jeremy Wardlaw. Welcome to another episode of Rethink Missions podcast. I'm going to start off with by reading a verse. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lays before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. The reason I start off with that verse is because the person I interviewed is now a part of those witnesses. Um, and he is in heaven with Jesus, the author and perfecter of his faith. And he was so faithful and served the Lord so well here on earth. And I was only one of the people that was very fortunate to be able to get his story and learn from him. And um, it just is a great reminder, that verse is a great reminder of the value of the body of Christ and learning from them. Um, And that reality that we only have so much time here on earth And it's good to look at those who have invested their lives in the gospel. So the person that I interviewed was actually interviewed uh, several months ago. His name is Donald Leslie Peterson, Dr. Don. So he was born February 17th, 1947, and he passed away September 24th, 2020. Um, I guess... He grew up in Paraguay, and he learned Spanish and Guarani. So his parents were um, cross-cultural servants there, and he was a part of their ministry. But he also, as he grew up, he invested his life in the gospel. His focus was a lot on linguistics. He got a linguistics degree and helped other missionaries and cross-cultural servants um, by analyzing languages and dialects. He helped um, develop the Firm Foundations program, which is that the teaching from creation to Christ that has been so effective throughout the world. He has helped people, missionaries, and translators with discourse analysis and developed tools helping missionaries do that and so really it's a privilege for all of us who rub shoulders with him that we got to rub shoulders with him Um, and I was impacted by his life seeing his ability to connect with anybody um, seeing his heart to serve the Lord um, whether it was here with us or somewhere else I know he was traveling all over So join me as we remember his life and also learn from him in this interview we had from him with Don Peterson. Welcome to our listeners, if there are any, maybe there aren't, (laughs) Uh, to this week's episode. We have Dr. Don Peterson. He's going to share 
some of his wisdom and thoughts and lessons learned in his story. He's been involved in missions for how long? About 40 years. 40 years. So that's a chunk of time. Yeah. And uh, your role has been assisting church planners with learning language. Um, you've done linguistic analysis, um, dialect testing to find the core dialect. Um, is core dialect the way you would say it? or? Well, at least comparing two or more dialects together to determine which one. Yeah, you could. You, that's probably not a bad way to express it. The one that is most broadly understood so the largest number of people would be able to understand, say, a Bible translation that was done in that dialect. Right, which is pretty key to translate in the dialect that's most understandable in the language. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you've done that. You've been a part of just what? I'm learning this last two weeks, discourse analysis, helping language learners uh, analyze the language in a way so that they're not just taking a English form and putting it into um, uh, indigenous language by just translating the words, almost just a shift of dictionary words. Well, that's not how they communicate. Right. They use completely different yeah. forms to communicate that meaning. And so you're helping us understand that. You've been a part of getting uh, other tools into church planners on how to teach better, mm-hmm. firm foundations, mm-hmm. been a part of editing that. So we really want to hear from your experience some of those tools and how church planners, especially to the unreached, can make use of them, why they're important what pitfalls someone could fall into if they didn't use them. So, yeah, I want to learn from you and share that with others. Yeah. Well, I guess kind of a baseline thing is missions is all about clear communication of a message. You know, we have a message that we want to transmit to people who've never heard it, the gospel, And in some ways, it seems like, well, that's a fairly simple thing to do. But in reality, um, there are many pitfalls that you can fall into that result in misunderstanding of the message, not understanding it at all. um, And it boils down to communication. So that starts with, first of all, learning a language and understanding how the language that you're learning differs from, let's say, some other language, your first language or English or, you know, could be the main language in the country that you're you're seeking to reach people who speak a different language. And there is this misunderstanding, you kind of referred to it, that people think they can just kind of take take uh, words and, and structures from one language and impose it on the other. And the result is can be massively under, misunderstood. And so one of the things is to really figure out not just how individual sentences work, because many things are different in the way uh, sentences are put together in a, one language as opposed to another, but the other thing is, is how do they put stories together? How do they put narratives together? How do they put teaching 
when they're teaching, how do they put the material together so the other person understands it and is convinced by it and and understands what um, what the issues are. So that's where um, discourse analysis comes in. We're looking at uh, narratives is where we start. Uh, first of all, the majority of the Bible is narrative. And um, so that's a good place to start because not only is, is it very widely used in, in the Bible, but we always want to start at the beginning. So the beginning is in Genesis. Genesis is pretty much all narrative, as is Exodus and a lot of the Old Testament. So we uh, we start right there and try to figure out, you know, how do they put things together? How do they make sure? How do you make sure that the main point stays the main point, and you don't get sidetracked and think these details are part of the main point and all that? So that that's kind of what we try to train our people that work in our mission to do and uh, give them tools on how to do that best we can. So when you say people think they can use their English form, let's say Mm -hmm. they're an English speaker, English form in their indigenous language, you don't necessarily mean they consciously think this. You mean this is a subconscious thought. They're not trying to be a bad communicator. No, unnatural. I've never run into anybody who really wanted to be a bad communicator. And a lot of times people don't realize that because of the way they're putting their teaching together or the way they would tell a story leaves people scratching their head just because they're they're leaving out parts that glue sections together in a way that people can follow the the um, the storyline and not get confused by little details that really are there to enhance the storyline, but they're not the next thing that happened, and so or they can't track who who's doing what and who's now the person that I need to be understanding is the next is is part of the next chunk of the story, and so um, very form based translation which like goes, let's say, sentence by sentence, each sentence could be very grammatical in the language that you're translating into, but they don't connect together right. And so they can go anywhere from just being very awkward to be very, very confusing to being actually inaccurate because people draw the wrong connections between the the different pieces. How how pervasive would you say this problem is like are there examples of where this is this has not been addressed and yeah this has ended in, in in real drastic miscommunication yes and again it's never by design you know it, it's you off sometimes not even understood at the time but i i read a, an article and this is many years ago that got me me personally first thinking about the whole aspect of discourse uh, study of the language. And that was, it was an article about Bible translation in Africa. And the author who had spent many years in Africa and was a translation consultant made the statement that really got my attention. He said that 80 to 90% of all the 
translations into languages of Africa were completely unusable because the, there was the discourse mismatch between the source language and the language that, they were, that it was being translated into was uh, so different that people couldn't, they couldn't really follow it. It was just too difficult to read. And so most of them were not being used. Well, wow. th that, that's a rather sobering thing to hear because, first of all, people have given their lives to do it and their intention was to produce something that people did understand. And uh, there are many people that were involved in supporting them, either financially or people that helped them maintain the work where they were. And to have all of that effort and all of the expense um, going on and, and the result being something that really couldn't be used is, you know, is a tragedy, really. And so that has actually, um, even more recently, I, I saw an even worse statistic, and I oh, don't no. know how this could be, and that was that, and it wasn't just referring to Africa, like the first article was just referring to Bible translation generally, that about 90% really weren't being used, and it was mainly because they just didn't communicate. You know, and there's many way reasons why something wouldn't communicate, but uh, people couldn't read it and understand it, so they didn't use it. Wow, that is tragic. It is. And you would say it's not because it wasn't in their language, it's because it wasn't organized in a way that people think in that language. They... Right. And, I mean... When you stop and think about Bible translation, as since we're talking about that, that's one main. That's probably the main reason why they aren't used. But you know, when you th think about a Bible translation, what are the elements for it to be used? What has to take place? Well, people have to be able to read that language. Okay, if if, if you have no readers, it doesn't matter how good it is. Nobody's going to read it. So. In some cases, there's never been a really uh, robust and effective literacy um, program out there that was really in place and was not only didn't just teach one generation, but was um, um, indigenized so that when the foreigner, whoever, wherever they came from was gone, it was going to continue on because they had indigenous people who were trained to continue teaching. So, you know, no readers. It doesn't matter how good it is. You're not going to, it's not going to benefit very many people. And then, of course, there's other things like just rejection because maybe um, there's a religious, you know, uh, feeling against Christianity. And so they don't want to read it because, you know, they're told they're not supposed to. It's bad. But then, and some of those things, you can control the literacy part by developing it. The attitude of people, that's a little bit harder to deal with. I mean, it's, it's a matter of building friendships, and, you know, you can't control that very much. Uh, I mean, totally, like, you, you can develop a program for them to read and teach people to read and get that rolling. And you can, you have some 
control over how good the translation is by following good practice, having good consultant help, and 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 testing it all along the way, which is a really important part. So when you say testing it along the way, you what do you mean by that? Um, as you do, um, let's say, a book of the Bible or a part of the book probably, you, you do comprehension testing with naive subjects. By that, when we say naive, we mean they're not part of the team. So it's not like they've had a lot of extra um, experience and help and, and teaching, actually, so that they, they know a lot about what it is they're trying to translate. And make sure that the people can listen to, you know, um, a chunk of the of a passage that's that's like a unit. Listen to it and be able to really give it give back. For the most part, not maybe everything, but they they they've tracked with it, so they really understand it. That's number one. So that's that's the understandability of it. The second thing, and this is one of the reasons why a lot of translations don't get used, is there's no church. You know, if you have no believers and you have no church, probably not a lot of people are going to be reading the Bible, you know. And so uh, we feel like this, the other leg of the translation, you know, is that you have to, ha you need to have uh, believers who are being taught so that uh, as the translation is going on, they're going to be a great benefit because there's many concepts in Scripture that are going to be foreign to this people group. Mm. And somehow you have to learn to communicate that. And by you do that by working with people, explaining what these things are and finding out how they would express it. You put that in a translation. But then when you're testing, over time, as you have believers in the church is growing, you're going to find out that some of the early things that you chose, while they weren't terrible, they've come up with better ways of expressing a concept than mm -hmm. what you first came up with. So we, we feel like the, the, the way to get a translation that's, that's accurate, understandable, and used is to have it, the translation done in the context of a church planting ministry where there are believers, they're growing, they're being taught, and they're part of the feedback loop where you can tell, are they, do they understand this? You know, and that, that, that is a piece that often is missing if you do it kind of as a standalone project without that feedback loop from people who are believers and are being taught. And you can find out what are they getting out of this. Right. Sort of that iterative process where right. they're communicating, giving you feedback. Yeah. Right. And... I mean, we've we've found that even after all that, and the first the first let's say New Testament and Old Testament portions are printed, within you know ten years as the church continues to grow, you you discover that there are still things that can be improved, uh, some things that are being misunderstood, and you and so there's usually a revision um, somewhere down the line. It it can sometimes it doesn't happen, obviously, but. Very often it does. Because you have now a church in yeah. the mother tongue that can that can actually... Yeah, and they can tell you, you know, this is very confusing here, or the way we've expressed this concept, whatever it could be, you know, it could be, you know, 
sanctification or justification or saint, you know, all these biblical key terms that um, they've, once they've really understood the concept better, they may say, you know, they'll start using a different <laughs> a way of expressing it, whether it's a word or phrase or, or something. And the, the missionary church planner goes like, yeah, I think we should have used that instead of what we did. And so that becomes part of the, the revision process. So discourse analysis, is that only for like a translator? Would a different, would someone else need to know, get into discourse analysis? We think so because it's all about communication. And so obviously if you're translating, you're trying to communicate the message of the Bible into another language. But if you're going to be teaching, if you're going to be having any kind of a teaching ministry, you're communicating there too. So if you're if you're not using the natural patterns of the language, at the very least, you're going to be less effective um, than you would be if you're using very natural ways of communicating, um, so that they can follow your your the train of thought that you're trying to express. Uh, if you're if you're teaching through a narrative passage, they can follow the the sequence events, what's important, what's what's background. It's important, but it's not the main next thing that's happening and so forth. Um, I mean, I've, I've had conversations with um, missionaries who um, have expressed frustration with understand, them, them understanding the people's, when they're talking, and the people having problems follow their logic, too, because of using imposing, let's say, English discourse patterns on the language, which doesn't jive with uh, with uh, um, language that they're communicating. And in fact, I can remember one missionary that was telling me, and this is years ago. She, uh, she said, when they start telling the story, I know. Okay, there's these three guys are in the story. And then they're never mentioned again, and I, and a, you know, a little, very few sentences into the story, I don't have a clue who's, who's doing what, you know, and who, and just totally get lost. And she'd have to say, now, okay, who, who did that? And they'd say, well, so and so, you know, and they'd go on and go, well, who was that? And, and she said, I just can't follow it because they don't, they don't do things the way we do. And she said, when I tell them something, I'm, all I could do is use the way English does it with pronouns to keep track of people, and then they get lost. They're going like, well, who was that and who was that? And the problem was she was using a way of tracking who was, you know, doing what to whom using English patterns with pronouns and names, and they don't do it that way. They had a different system. And so both of them would get lost in the story. So eventually, you know, she figured out how they did it, but those are the kind of things that can happen. And if you don't test it, if you don't study and understand how it goes, the translation will be like that. Bad right. news, you know, it won't right. be understood. Yeah, yeah. no good. Um, so you talk about sort of the two essentials of translation, one being translating, communicating well, the other, the church planning side of it. Um, so what are some tools out there that you feel this is important for a church planner to be aware of and to know how to make use of? 
Okay, well, um, one of the things that we've uh, discovered, uh, when I say we, people in the mission who've been working and, and have been frustrated with the lack of progress. And this, I'm talking going back in history here where people worked for many years and it never seemed like the church really developed and a lot of the believers seemed to not really move on in their relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> um, it became kind of clear at some point, and this is many, quite a few years ago now, like 30 some years ago, that the problem was that we were starting at the wrong place. We were starting with the gospel. The people didn't understand why they needed it. <laughs> they didn't understand the dilemma that they as a person, a sinful person, uh, had. And their worldview would only give them uh, their, their understanding of how you relate with uh, the spiritual world as you try to manipulate it figure out what what do you do how do you make the the supernatural realm um, work for you kind of a thing and so um, at one point one of our missionaries who worked in the Philippines he got very fr frustrated because he was working in a work that had been started um, many years before by a missionary who loved the people the people loved him he didn't learn the language very well but whatever he said, they, they just took it and they ended up with many churches, 50, 60 churches, and they all looked like, you know, like a people movement. There was a people movement. And then in time, um, the field leaders said, well, we need to get some other people in there to really learn the language so they can teach these believers. And so that did happen. And once... A couple other missionaries got there, really learned the language, and they were sitting in on these churches, listening to the 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 church leaders teaching the Bible. They just go, they they were just sick when they heard how confused they were about everything. They had completely misunderstood most everything because of of just this communication problem, and so one of the fellows said, "Well, I'm going to." I guess what I need to do is I need to do some teaching like systematic theology. <laughs> it's kind of a thing. I'm going to do a theological training for it. Well, that wasn't working very well. And they tried, tried to and, take them through seminary. Yeah, exactly. And um, like in a Western style, you know, and that they didn't see any progress that way either. And so finally he said it was like, God hit him upside the head with a two-by-four and says, why don't you just teach it the way I wrote it? Why don't you start in the beginning and take them through so that they understand who God is, they understand what his nature and character is, understand what man's problem is as, as fallen, sinful people, and what God's program has been down through the ages to where you get... The, the promised deliverer, which was promised back in Genesis 3, is on the scene and take them through the New Testament, you know, the ministry of, of uh, Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, and put, a, put the whole story in, uh, in the context that they could see and understand. And so they did that, and... It was like the people had never heard, you know, they, they'd heard pieces, parts, but they never really figured out how it all fit together. Mm -hmm. And so 
there was a, a tremendous, uh, you know, change in the way that the, the church understood scripture. And so that resulted in the development of this material, which was originally called, it still is called building on firm foundations. So you're building the church on the firm foundation of scripture, starting at the beginning and putting it all together so they understand God's whole program, not just something hanging out. The gospel message doesn't change, but they have no context to to put it into except whatever is in their minds, you know, right. and make the great understanding, mis, misunderstanding take place, takes place that way. Because if all you have is Jesus died on the cross for your sins... Mm-hmm. And you need to believe and understand this, and you don't have any of the background. You even if you do say, "Sure, I believe that." Yeah. Well, what do you believe? <laughs> what do you actually believe? Mm-hmm. Right? Because mm-hmm. you haven't really understood who God is, who you yeah. are, that you yeah. even need a rescuer. Right. And I, I wonder how how useful this sort of. Um, curriculum could be for even those doing outreach and church growth back in their home churches in North America. Well, that's kind of what happened. Um, After this got rolling on the mission field, missionaries would come back, you know, for their time in their home country uh, to reconnect with their church and their friends and family and so forth. And they would tell them what they were doing, and people would say, well, we really need that here. And so they would start teaching while they were back. And so we came to the conclusion we really need to develop the same material, but for you know more of a Western context, for, for the home countries that most of our missionaries were coming from. So we, we did re-edit it for that purpose, and uh, we called it Firm Foundations Creation to Christ, and um, it's been used, it, you know, we've sold tens of, many tens of thousands of copies of the curriculum, and it's being used in a lot of places, both in the U.S. and in other English-speaking countries, and then it was put into, you know, Spanish, Portuguese, German, Japanese, Chinese, and a bunch of other countries. So it, it's, it is being broadly used, and then it actually started a thing where many other ministries out there kind of followed the same sequence and came up with their own materials and a lot of it's excellent stuff too. So it really did start um, kind of a, a movement towards using the, the narrative of scripture to put everything into a context that's really understandable. Which is so important for especially a missionary going cross-culturally. Absolutely, yeah. But even just one-on-one, if you're, you know, rubbing shoulders with someone and you're wanting to share who Christ is and and you are able to put it together in a story way, mm-hmm. in a way that they can understand, and yeah. what, a, what a benefit to them because we assume so much. We assume mm-hmm. that people grew up in the church or that they've heard all these stories. Yeah. And they haven't. Not nowadays. No. And and what is their concept of God? It's not a biblical concept usually. And and this is true whether you're in the West, you know, the US, Canada, Australia, England, wherever, Germany, 
or you're in a primitive, you know, tribal setting, they all have some kind of a concept of God, but it's not biblical. And so, you know, you need to get, they need to understand who God is based on how he revealed himself. And and he revealed himself through the narrative of scripture. Hmm. He didn't give us uh, a list of attributes and just say, you know, like a, a systematic theology, like the one guy said, you know, he would illustrate this by saying, you know, everything the Bible teaches is in the context of the whole story. And he'd say, uh, pick up your Bibles and turn to the uh, the uh, teaching on the Holy Spirit. And everybody starts going like, well, he said, well, there isn't a place. It's all the way through from the beginning. At the beginning, God was hover- the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters in the first day of creation, and creation began. And all through the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit working, and then you see the you see it um, during the ministry of Christ, and then after the after the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and the ascension, there's the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the, it's it's in the context of a story. So you have to know the story, or you really don't understand what it is. You know, right? Yeah. And even if there's a skeptic out there, maybe someone listening who's stumbled on this podcast, who's, <laughs> who uh, maybe is even questioning the Bible and its validity, I've often thought, what better way for God to reveal himself to humans than through a book that's been written over thousands of years and it reveals that picture of who he is and how he's interacted with man. And it's all consistent. Mm-hmm. A, an incredible mosaic. Um, but what better way to reveal his heart? Like, is there a better way? It's, <laughs> it stays, it's, it's mm-hmm. in written format, so it can't be changed. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's preserved. It's engaging. It's definitely... Um, compelling in the sense that it's there's so much there you cannot exhaust right it's so deep right Um, I've often wondered for those who are haven't even really read the Bible but have rejected it Mm -hmm. maybe go back and read that because what better way for him to talk to us absolutely so this idea of back in our home churches there might be a a time when even our even in from the pulpit things are a haze out there people really aren't getting an understanding do you ha- have you experienced that and could people kind of learn from those who are going cross culturally on some principles they can apply in their own culture yeah i mean one of the things that's you know become kind of the pattern i'd say in the majority of churches anyway, the evangelical churches in the West, is a little series, a, a series of sermons on a particular topic or one book of the Bible, and then you can jump somewhere else. And so people end up with a lot of information if if they're you know if they're being taught that way and they're they're consistently going to church and they end up with a lot of pieces that are not very well connected and they don't really see how how they all fit together. And um, I personally have taught through the same material in my home church multiple times. 
And it's pretty, um, sometimes it takes you back how people who've been in church for a long time have some very uh, strange ideas about things that the Bible teaches, partly because they've never had it connected together in a way that they made sense. Just a read not too long ago, a year or so ago, I was teaching through this whole material, starting Genesis and creation and going through the ascension of Christ. And we were really in the very beginning part of it and talking about, you know, that um, God said, let us make man in our own image, you know, and talked about what that might mean. And uh, one of the women in the, that was in the in the study, an, an elderly woman who had worked in children's programs and other stuff for, for a long time, wasn't there. That, but she read, the less, she read the lesson material, and when she came in the next week, she said, she said, I was just reading that passage there where it says, God said, let us um, make man in our own image. She said, so I started thinking about that. And so what I think it means is um, that um, it's um, the... Uh, uh, Mother Earth, Father Time, and God. That's <laughs> that's who us was. And I was taken aback. I mean, I never heard anybody come up with something like that. And, and it wasn't like she had never been under biblical teaching. But somehow that connection never was made. And so there's just people that probably not quite that... <laughs> startlingly off base, but just don't see how, you know, what happened in the Old Testament is foundational for why did Jesus come, you know, because he loved us. Yes, but there's more to it than that, you right. know. So uh, yeah. putting it in the whole story, it makes, you know, sense and it's understandable and people can remember it and they can, they can, they can have confidence that, Jesus was who he said he was. Otherwise, it's just, you know, just because I said it doesn't mean anything. You know, what? so what do I know? But in the context of Scripture, people begin to have confidence in the things that they've, that they've been taught from Scripture because it all fits together in a way that's totally impossible when you think of a, a book that was written over 15, 1,600 years by about 40 different people all through those different times and different places and yet there's no, it all fits together as one story. I mean, even one author has trouble keeping their story consistent all the way through without really working at it. But when you have 40 different people over that span of time, it's impossible without God being involved in the story. Mm -hmm. It's so tragic that someone mm -hmm. who maybe grew up in the church can't piece together what the story of the Bible is about, what it's mm -hmm. about. Right. Let alone someone who grows up in North America mm -hmm. or in a, quotes, Christian country. Right. Um, piece it together. Yeah. It's it, just so important mm -hmm. for us as believers mm -hmm. and communicators to tell the story the way God laid it out. Because it is a big, big book. To it expect is. someone to read, yeah, yeah, maybe they can read and understand it, but it is a big one. 
Right. So if we, for us who have understood and come to understand, man, it is our job to really do our best to communicate well. It, it certainly is. And, and because the Bible is a big book and there's different kinds of uh, material in it, you've got narrative, you've got poetry, you've got um, various kinds of uh, you know historical stuff and prophetic stuff. People can get completely lost in it without somebody who can kind of put it together. The main line of the story and then you can hang all the other stuff off of it. But if it's kind of like if you start and you just keep taking these side roads and keep coming back, and in the end you're kind of confused. I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the route is from here to here. But if somebody can take you through that main storyline, then all the other pieces can be fit onto it, and they make sense. Yeah. Doctor Don, thank you so much for sharing your perspective, your lessons to us. Um, to missionaries out there in the middle of learning language and doing discourse analysis, God bless. We yeah. know how hard it is. Yes. Um, I'm only beginning to know how hard it is. And Don, you've been in the beast for a long time. Beating my head against it, yes. Yes. Uh, we're praying for you. Thank you. Yeah. And for those who are back home in North America, maybe they don't have to do discourse analysis, but as you're reaching out, Think about how you're communicating the gospel, the story. Does it even make sense to the person you're talking to? Or have we just left a phrase hanging um, in midair and they have no way of kind of piecing it together? Yep. Um, good challenges for all of us. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless. You've been listening to the Rethink Missions podcast. For more information and episodes, go to wmissions.com. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review and subscribe.